Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. It's good to be with you all. It's good to be kicking off a new series this week. We landed the plane on our series that we'd been in, in the Gospel According to Mark last week. I thought Caden did just a great job uh, landing the plane on that, talking about the resurrection life that we are all invited into through the doorway of crucifixion, through the doorway of our own death that God is faithful to bring us up as we surrender our autonomous will to him and we lay our life down. God brings us into his resurrection life and his resurrection power, which he made the argument, Uh, And I completely agree with him from last week that we are as a world in desperate need of the church and as as the people of God to be more filled with the resurrection power of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so if you missed that message, go back and listen to it. Um, This week we are kicking off, like I said, a new series that we are simply calling Family Values. Family Values. Um, What this is going to hopefully aim us towards over the next 11 weeks are some values that we have really distilled down and come to going like, no, this is, this is how we are going to operate and how we're going to behave here at Good Shepherd Church. We sat down and we, we uh, opened these up to our serve team last week. Um, last Sunday night, we had the serve team uh, night where we just celebrated and ate together and gave some vision for the serve team, which by the way, uh, has like 200 people in it, which is incredible. It's amazing. We had 200 people on the serve team. That is like the opposite of how churches usually operate. Usually it's a few people doing all the work. Here we have a lot of people doing all the work and it just is, it's a great blessing for us. Um, and, and we were talking just this morning, um, Garrick had like 47 kids in first service in that, in the room down there in the zone. So y'all, y'all are fruitful people. Well done in that regard. Um, <laughs> But I just, if you are interested in joining the serve team, if you would like to know more about areas that you could serve or get involved, help, helping be a part of your church family in that way. We are, we're in pretty critical need in our little kids rooms from our our preschoolers over here, our elementary schoolers, but then we just have, we have holes all over the place that we'd love to just fill. So if you want to know more information, reach out gschurch.info. You can click a button there that says serve team. You can fill out an application and we will get on your calendar because we'd love to We'd love to fill those up, but, but family values, um, this is, we, we displayed these all to the, to the serve team last week, and we are going to be going through them one at a time, week by week, um, to just unpack and really dive into what does it mean to operate this way? What does it, what does it look like as, as a people, if we were to get our head around this kind of behavior, my hope in all of this is not just that we would kind of set some standards or some expectations, but really that we would grow in our capacity to be the people that we say we already are. Like, I mean, one of the awesome things from unveiling these last week where so many people went, man, we already do these values so well. I'm like, yeah, that's part of why there are values is because it's already who we are. But our hope in, in going through them is that we might grow in our capacity to be these kinds of people all the more. And if you think about just like values of an organization, this is kind of what it feels like when it actually hits the ground. Really, it's, it's the culture. It's the way an organization or, or a place or an environment feels. Uh, you, you don't really need more of an explanation than this. Like, you know the difference between customer service at Chick-fil-A and at Burger King. I told the ser- story to the serve team this last week where, um, man, Katie and I, we were, having, we were just having one of those moments. You've all been there with me. We were driving past a Burger King and we felt weak in our flesh in just a minute. And they were having a deal. I think it was like $1.99 for 10 spicy nuggets. Chick-fil-A doesn't have the spicy nuggets. RIP. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was like a good month back, you know, a few years ago. But they, 10, 10 spicy nuggets for like $1.99. So, you know, we're like, we got to do it. We got to do it. We're feeling weak in the moment. Give ourselves over, get in the drive-thru line. We're the only people in the drive-thru line because after all, it's Burger King, right? You know what I mean? So we're there and 
And we're waiting, we're waiting, and we order, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. And I'm like, golly, it's taking forever. I'll look for other cars. There's no other cars. And they, they go, hey, uh, would you mind parking, sir? And I'm like, parking? What do you mean? We're, we're, the, like, there's, we're not holding up a line here. Why not just wait at the window? So we park our car, and a minute goes by, two minutes goes by. And I'm like, you know what? Forget it. I'm, I'm going in there. I'm going in there. I'm going to go find these nuggets. Well, there they were, on the counter, in a box, ready to go. There just was nobody to bring them to me. And just when I was like, uh, that customer service could not have gotten any worse. We're driving away. I'm counting my box of 10 nuggets. And there's only nine. <laughs> there's only nine in the box. I'm like, unbelievable. Now, you know the difference between that experience. But when you step into a Chick-fil-A, that person behind the counter, they're like, oh my gosh, how are you? It's so good to see you. Like, it's, I, I, how, are you how are you? Like, how's your soul? How's, how is God moving in your life right now? What is your testimony? Can I get to know your story a little more? And then it's not just that like, it's not just that they tolerate serving you or that they just ask if there's anything else they can get you. Uh, but they're actually like, no, like, listen, sir, it was my distinct privilege. It, it, it was, it was my, what is it? My pleasure. I was like, I lost the word there for a second. It's my pleasure to serve you. And you just feel like the champ, right? Walking out of a Chick-fil-A. I was like, doing free Chick-fil-A, the encounter night with the missionaries. I thought we were going to go back into worship, but y'all just kind of like, acted like that was nothing. I'm so excited for that night. And anyways. No, 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 it's too late. That doesn't count. Um, <laughs> my point is this. You know, you know a good culture when you feel one, but a good culture doesn't happen by accident. It has to be taught and it has to be protected. It, you, have to, you have to intentionally choose it. Otherwise, you will tolerate things that you don't want to be. You will, you will default to something that's more comfortable and easy, not necessarily to who you want to be. If you think about just churches for a second, you think about the mission statements that churches have. And let me just give you a little secret here. Every church's mission statement is the same iteration of two things. It's going to be the great commission and the great commandment. So regardless of the church you go to, if it's, if it's a Bible believing church, they're going to say, Hey, you got to love God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And you got to love your neighbor as yourself. And then you got to do the great commission, which is to go and make disciples of all nations, which we talked about last week. And so, I mean, man, regardless of how you want to say it, the way we say it is we want you to experience and share a growing relationship with Jesus every day. Do you hear the great commandment experience and the great commission share a growing relationship with Jesus every day? That's our mission statement. That's, that's what we do. But then if you click a level beneath that, then you'll see, okay, then what's your vision statement? What's it going to look like? When we've decided as a church, we are going to embrace the beauty of both the, the spirit and the Bible. And we're going to put those things together as friends, not like other churches do and see them as differences we're not going to be the charismatic church. We're not going to be the evangelical church. We're going to be the church that holds both of the positives of both those movements in tension. I had, I had this pastor, this was probably like a year and a half ago. He's from Wyoming, looking for some church on a Sunday morning. He was looking for a specific church. I can't remember which one it was, but he, he couldn't find it. I was just like, that's weird. You drive all the way from Wyoming to not be able to find the church. Ends up here. He comes up to me after the service. He's like, man, what denomination are you guys? Because man, worship, like it was flowy. Man, it felt really charismatic. It felt like there was a lot of room for the presence of God to move and there was a lot of room for the spirit to do what he wanted to do. But then you got up and preached and you, and you preached the word of God and it was really foundational and it was biblical and it was accurate. And I was just like, yes, exactly. <laughs> like that, that is us. We see the spirit and the Bible as friends. We, we want to be, be foundational. We want to value preaching and we want to value uh, discipleship and growing in depth in God's word and, and what he's revealed to us to be true. But we also want to be growing in our, in our ability to experience him and to encounter him and to sit and soak in his presence, right? We're, we're not going to be the people who are so, so formed by truth, but lacking experience 
And we're also not willing to be the people who are so immersed in experience that it's not anchored in truth. We want to be both of these people. That's, that's the vision. As we do those things, we believe we're going to see people get healed. We believe that we're going to see people get saved. We're going to see marriages restored. We're going to see community grow. Like we believe we're going to see God do amazing testimonies through us. That's what it looks like. But then if you click a level beneath that, that's when we get to now, how do we behave? How do we act? As, as people who call ourselves members or, or attenders or, or, or what I mean, whatever, category you want to put yourself in. Like you're just here a lot, you know? If you're part of Good Shepherd Church's family, this is how we're going to act. This is what we're going to be known for. Again, we're going to, we're going to grow in our capacity to do these things. And the first thing that we're going to set our mind on is that we want to be a people who are gospel obsessed. That's, the, that's value number one. We are, we are a gospel obsessed people. I'll point you to this scripture in 1 Corinthians, even though there's probably 20 others I could have chose from. First Corinthians chapter 15. I just love the way that Paul writes this as he's encouraging a Corinthian church that has, that has in, their, in their really sexual deviance, but in a lot of ways they have steered off the mark of how God would call them to behave as the people of God. And so what Paul does is he's writing them. He's, he's confronting them. He's encouraging them. He's showing them how he's praying for them. He's teaching them different ways to behave than what they're doing right now. But he also then says this in chapter 15. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Do you see all three tenses happening there? He says, it's the, it's the gospel that I preached to you that you received, past tense, in which you now stand, and by which you are continually being saved. Like you are continually growing and you are being sanctified is the big word, but you are continually being made more and more and more like God because of the gospel. I, I love in almost every single one of Paul's epistles, he's explaining to the churches, the gospel. Let that kind of sit in your mind for just a second. As he's writing to the Roman church, Romans is just one big long book of just, here's the gospel. Here is the story from beginning to end. Here's how Israel fits into the story. Here's how the Gentiles are grafted into the story. Here is what's going on with the gospel. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but by, it is by grace that you have been saved. This is apart from your own works. He is telling the story, the narrative of what Jesus has done all throughout Romans. You go to Corinthians and he's, and he's correcting. You go to Ephesians and he's writing to the church in Ephesus and he's reminding them of the gospel. He, he starts off by going, man, God chose you before the foundation of the earth. He says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, Ephesians chapter two, but God in his rich mercy has made us alive together in Christ. You, you go on to, to Galatians and he says, oh, Galatian church, who has bewitched you? you? You are following now a different gospel, one that is anathema, it is cursed. It's one that says that you can earn God's love and devotion for you. It's this, it's this legalistic version of the gospel that's not real at all. He's saying, who tricked you? Come back to the real gospel. I mean, just go on. Philippians, Thessalonians, he's just, he's every time he's starting the letter going like, I just got to remind you of the good news of what Jesus has done for you. I've preached it to you before. You received it. It's what you stand in now. And it's the story that's going to continue to press you on through your salvation in the days to come. The gospel is something that we need to be obsessed with. I was looking up the definition of obsessed because I was like, man, is that, is that really the right word? It almost kind of feels like it's a, it's a bad word. Like, can you really be obsessed with something? Is that allowed? Uh, but the gospel, I think, is something you can be obsessed with. So I, you know, got on Google, looked up what obsession means, and this is what I found. It's the state of being obsessed with someone or something. <laughs> Don't you hate that? I mean, that was so dumb. You use the word in the definition. Like, I, like I, 
I, I hate that. <laughs> the second definition, though, the better, I'll give you a real one here. It's an idea or a thought that continually preoccupies or intrudes a person's mind. And so the gospel is this story that's continually preoccupying, continually reminding. It's something that's on the front of my mind. It's a thought that I can't shake. I, I can't help but have this lens on which I see on in my life, on which I see the world around me. It's this gospel, this continual reminder of what Jesus has done and what he's doing around me. So we are gospel obsessed. Um, I, I would encourage you even right now. So, so there we have the word obsession, but now what, what does it mean? What is the gospel? What does that word mean? Well, like we learn in the gospel, according to Mark, that word is euangelion, which is this kind of big fun word to say. Honestly, it is fun to say euangelion. Ready? Let's say it together. One, two, three. Euangelion. That is fun, isn't it? Anyways, it's not really a point of my sermon at all. It's just, I think it's fun. But what it means is just simply the good news. It's good. There's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of euangelions, gospels, good news stories out there, but this is the one that we want to obsess with. So then which one? What is it? If I were to just even ask you right now, let's just say for a second, kind of in your mind's eye, you're sitting across the table having coffee with somebody who you've been praying for years to come to know the Lord. Like you've just been praying for them. You've been begging the Lord. You've been petitioning. And, and, they, and they, on their own initiative, turn to you and they go, okay, hold on, hold on. I think I'm ready to do this. What is the gospel? What's your answer in that moment? Uh, see, I've, I've found, and this is to bring no shame, no condemnation on anyone in the room. I just found we are woefully insufficient in answering that question. So what, just think for just a second. Take like two, three sentences in your mind. Someone sits and they're like, what is the gospel? And you respond with, what? Right, so I, I did this activity with some students. I was, I was preaching at an FCA huddle at Mountain View. This was probably two, three years ago. And I just like, I was like, hey, close your Bible. I only had like 20 minutes to do a message anyway because it's during their lunch. Like they don't even really care what I have to say. I'm convinced that just there was pizza. You know what I'm saying? So it's like just a youth ministry tool is pizza. So I was like, hey, close your Bible, you know, whatever. Just, hey, just sit down, get out your phone write down for me the gospel. Just take three sentences, four sentences, whatever you need. Just, just write out the gospel of Jesus Christ. We say, this is, we say this is the good news. This is the story by which we're saved. So what is it? You know, and I gave him a few minutes and, and uh, then I just, you know, I was like, hey, there's no judgment here. Like we're all growing, we're all learning. So let's just hear, what's some, what are some answers? This big, like meat heady football player. Um, he just stands up and he's just like, Jesus. I was like, well, you're not wrong, <laughs> right? Like, but you're not right either. You know, then you have some like some church kids that are in the room. And they've just grown up going to church and, and they're like as sheltered or more sheltered than Caden is, which is probably not possible. You know, <laughs> he joked about that last week. I love you. But um, they're just like, hey, what's the gospel? And they would, they would give you all these just weird facts. They're like, well, Jesus, who was conceived by the Virgin Mary. And uh, she was, he was, she was, he was born in a town of Bethlehem in a little manger. And even though we know it's not really a manger, it was, it was more like a cave. And I'm just like, what are you talking about right now? Like, I asked you what the gospel was. Like, I didn't. I didn't care for like the birth story. You know what I mean? Like I'm not, I'm not neglecting that there's, there's some important parts to that story that they're trying to share. But I'm like, that's, this is, they're just reciting some facts that they heard. They, they couldn't tell me though what the gospel was. What's the story? And so here, here is my guess after just doing this long enough. Because I, like, I talked to Katie this week. I was like, man, okay, gospel obsessed. I feel like this is the only message I ever preach, right? I just like, I love the gospel. I'm obsessed with the gospel personally. So how do you, how do you make this different? How do you make this distinct? And, and, I realized that, man, so often 
when we're challenged with articulating the gospel, we fall, we fall short in two ways, usually. The first way is that when we start to explain the gospel, we, and, and just think about the sentences that you just rehearsed in your mind, we usually fall short by just telling a personal story of the gospel. Now, now hear me, like, that's not wrong. It's absolutely correct. And we will spend eternity marveling at the good news of what Jesus has done for me. But if we only explain the gospel by, by how Jesus gave his blood for me, that, that I was a sinner, but I put my faith in Jesus and because of his perfect righteousness and because he died on the cross and gave a sacrifice for me, I am now saved and invited into the, the abundant life the Bible talks about. If, if your few sentences of explaining the gospel rests on only what God has done for you, you're right, but you're also incomplete. See, God is, God is not just rescuing, renewing, and redeeming you, although that is what he wants to do, but he's also doing that for all of creation, for every person. And so if we so narrowly truncate the definition of the gospel just to be about what God has done for me, we're gonna miss the mission that God is doing around us in the world. So that's, that's one way that we, that we define it in too short of a way. The other way that we define it in too short of a way is we, we make it just, well, well I, was, I, was, I was dead spiritually and now I'm alive. Or I was, I was bad and now I'm good. I, I used to do this and then Jesus saved me and now I do this. And again, beautiful, not wrong. It's not, it's not, it's not, uh, it's not the wrong thing to say about what Jesus has done in your life and where he's brought you. But again, if you don't, if you don't start the gospel by telling the whole story, you're gonna miss part of your role in it now. See, I think it's helpful to remember the gospel has really four distinct parts. It ha you have to start with the story of creation, that God made everything and it was good. Like God put Adam and Eve in a garden that was filled with peace and everything was rightly ordered and everything was, was right. There was this idea that the Hebrew word would be shalom, like everything was in just like perfect peace and perfect, perfect rhythm with itself. And Adam and Eve, they were able to walk with and cultivate this intimate relationship with God who would walk in the garden. And everything that God made and the way that he made Adam and Eve was good. It was very good and it was right. And then that, so if the first part is creation, the second part is the fall, right? We can't just, we can't just jump into the fall though we have to first acknowledge that everything was good. Because once we acknowledge everything was good, we say, man, God made everything and it was perfect. And Adam and Eve chose to rebel against that good, perfect will. So the fact that God made this thing called sexual desire and he gave that to Adam and Eve and it was good. Now, all of a sudden that is being perverted, used in a way that, that not just Adam and Eve, but now all of creation, because we're tilted off of our axis because of sin, now we use that just to gratify the desires of the flesh is what Ephesians 2 writes. Basically, we, we have taken the good things that God has made and we have just turned them into selfish gratification. And we're using things just to be consumed for ourselves personally, or we're just taking the way that God has ordered the universe to work and we're choosing to ignore it and to rebel against him. And that's sin. When we do something contrary to the heart of God, it's sin. And that sin, it, it required a sacrifice. It required payment. God is, God is loving and he's kind and he is just. And so there's this, there's this payment that's due. So if we have creation, fall, then we have redemption. Then we have redemption. We're now enter in the story of Jesus where Jesus came to this earth to, to, to pay for the penalty that was due for you and me. He came to take on the sin that, and the punishment for that sin that you and I deserved. And he went to the cross, even though he was perfectly righteous and he died in our place so that the wrath of God would be satisfied. 
And now that we can, we can enjoy presence and communion with God because of the righteousness of Christ alone. And when, Christ, when God the Father sees us, he sees the righteousness of Christ if we have given our life to Jesus in faith. So we're saved, like praise God. I, I, was, I was listening to this, uh, this Instagram reel, which is probably like my first mistake, but my second mistake was they were like this theologian, right? Like y- younger people in the room, like if you're less than 30 years old or around 30 and under, like please, please don't get your theology from somebody on TikTok. <laughs> and don't get your theology from Instagram reels. Like get this thing called a, a book, right? Because usually who's, who, people who've written books, they've actually put in the time in to research what they're talking about. They don't just have 60 second sound bites to just tell you anything they want to tell you. But you have these like influencers who are saying these crazy things. And I'm like, go, go read Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem. And like, that'll help you. Go read Tozier. Go, go read somebody who's already dead. Here, here's my advice to all the young people. Like, don't listen so much. Don't let people form you spiritually online. Go read dead people. It will just serve you well, I promise you. But I was listening to this guy and, and he's like, hey, he's like, basically there are, there are only two world religions. All of them can kind of get distilled down in these two ideas. There's Western religion, which basically just says there is a God who is morally superior than everybody. He's perfect. He's holy, however you want to describe him. And, and the goal of religion number one, Western religion, is just that we would all eventually kind of assimilate to and we'd all become like God and our behavior will slowly but surely kind of become more and more like God. Okay, that's one. The other one was Eastern religion, where rather than kind of this ascent up, there's this, there's this desire to empty yourself. You think about meditation, where we just kind of like get so in tune with the smallest things around us so that we are then at one with God and at one with what he's created. That's all Eastern religions. I was listening to this guy. I was like, this is, this is crap. This is total crap. Like he skipped Christianity. Christianity is the story that even though there is a God who is holy and perfect, even though there is a God who is just and loving and merciful, I could never be like him. So he came down to help me. It wasn't about me trying to get up to him. It was, it's, I was just reading Ephesians chapter two yesterday. You were dead in your trespasses and sins is how Paul starts that sentence. You know who can't help themselves very well? A dead person. (laughs) They're totally dependent on the people around them to get them out of that state. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy, has made us alive together in Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. It is not your own doing. It is the spirit of God alone that comes in, swoops in, captivates your heart, and then starts to reorient you so that you are empowered to be like God. But it is by his grace and mercy alone that that happens. It's not your own effort or your own exertion, but it's that God came down to save us. That's step three. That's, that's redemption. That's this idea that God has taken my story and he's flipped it around now and he is setting me on a new path. I have repented. I've turned my life to go now this direction. I'm following after him, but I'm dependent on the Holy Spirit at every step of the way. It's not this, it's not this self-will that I exert. Do you remember, uh, maybe you don't, I, I don't remember it personally. All right, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, but for some of you that did in the 90s and 2000s, you remember like the, uh, the, the rubber band on your wrist that you're supposed to snap yourself every time you had a lustful thought? I've heard these stories. Is that true? Some of you been there? Some of you had the rubber band on your wrist? And I was like, oh, she's pretty. And I was like, ah, whack. You know, and you just like have to snap yourself all the time. <laughs> okay, that's, that's moralism. And I, like I get the intent, I get the desire. Like I, I understand it in part, but man, just to, to teach us that we're supposed to be more moral is not the gospel. The gospel is that God invaded your spiritual state of being dead and he made you alive by his grace. This was not your own doing. It was not you. And if we stop there, see, because again, Most people, the two mistakes you're going to make with the gospel 
is you're going to only define it in a personal mode of salvation. You're not going to see it being for the whole globe. But the second way that you're going to fall short is you're going to define it just in, in, in terms of, well, I was sinful and now I'm less sinful. But that stops short of the fourth part of the full gospel, which says, no, God is actually on a mission to renew all things. So it's creation, fall, redemption, and renewal. And when I understand that God is reigning on his throne right now, King Jesus, seeking to bring everything in subjection under, under his feet, what I now get to participate in is the re-edening of the world. I get to help bring that shalom peace back into the chaos of the world that we now inhabit. So where there's brokenness here and where there's pain there and where there's grief there and where there's sin there, I now have the distinct privilege partnering with the Holy Spirit to step into those spaces to bring the rule and reign of God there, to bring heaven to earth like the Lord's Prayer. So that now is the full gospel. And when we understand that completely, it, it, it just bids us to respond. I, I, I tried to make this list of like, man, okay, what are things that I love about the gospel? I started just like ironing out just different things that I love about the gospel. And I came up with nine. So I had to work a little more because you can't have a list of nine. That just feels incomplete. So here are 10 things, 10 reasons that I am obsessed with the gospel. It explains the brokenness of the world. I love that the gospel doesn't neglect the fact that sin has tarnished and tried to ruin everything. All of God's good gifts have been tainted now because of sin. Did a funeral last week. I've done many funerals before that. I start every single one of those funerals by basically saying the same thing. We shouldn't have to be here. This is not the way that God intended the world to be. We weren't supposed to feel this way. We weren't supposed to cry like this. This thing should not have happened. But the gospel explains, explains the brokenness of the world. It explains what we lost in the Garden of Eden. And it explains, well, okay, jumping ahead of myself, the hope that we will have again. Number two, it articulates the full human experience. The gospel doesn't then, because I understand now the whole story, the whole narrative of what Jesus has done and is doing, I don't get to like, I don't get to just like bow out of certain parts of the real human experience. So yeah, prayers don't get answered sometimes. Yeah, we, I still wait for some things to happen that haven't happened yet. I'm, I'm still hoping that this person comes in, but that when I understand the full story, I'm seeing that God is still calling people in, but people are still choosing to disobey him. Or, or just very simply, Things are happening in your life right now that are hard and you're going through a desert season and it's because sin is still in this world. It might not be anything that you're doing that's sinful. It, it probably isn't. But because of sin, because of the brokenness in the world, there's this distance now from what heaven should look like and what I am experiencing right now. But the promise of God is, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. He promises his presence even in the midst of our greatest pain. And so keep that in mind. But the gospel articulates the full human experience. The gospel also sets me free. Gosh, I, I probably, like you, have some stuff in my past that I, I wanted to get free from and I wanted to change the way I was acting, but I couldn't help myself. I couldn't change. But praise God, what the gospel has done is it's just gotten into me and as it's formed me over the years, it's actually, it's actually set me free from some of that stuff so that I can't remember who said this exactly, but, but sin might call now, I just don't have to answer the phone. Doesn't mean that I don't stumble. Doesn't mean that I don't have things that I, I say at times or that I do at times that I regret. But I've been set free from that behavior in my past, whatever that is. You, some, some of you, like you've been set free from your need to be perfect. It's not this like crazy sin thing that you have. It's just this, it's this crazy, what well, is sin? It's pride that you think you can be perfect. And the gospel sets you free from that. Because the gospel says to every single person, no, you have all sinned and you've fallen short 
of God's standard. You've missed the mark. And there's, there's grace to be found when you finally embrace the fact that you're not perfect, but Jesus was, praise God. So it sets you free. It heals you from your past. This is, this is the... This is the ninja move that God has. That's just awesome. Is that whatever mistakes you made, whatever like embarrassing, shameful things in your past, like we talked about with Peter a couple weeks ago, God takes what the enemy means for evil and he turns it for good. So now whatever thing that you consider your biggest failure, God probably wants to turn into your greatest, most profound tool that you have to fight the kingdom of darkness. Or let's just say it this way, to punch the devil in the face. Wherever you received mercy, now you can give mercy. Where you received grace, now you can give grace. Where you received encouragement, now you can speak directly and give specific encouragement, not general encouragement. God, God heals us from our past. He takes the hurting and shameful parts of our story and he actually makes sense of it and he heals it and he makes us not have to live there or stay there, but he gives us a future and a hope. He also rewires my heart. So it's, again, it's not this like snap, snap, I send again, snap, oh, you know, bad Austin. It's this like, no, God is actually, as I focus on him and as I obsess over this story, God's actually He's giving me a desire for him that is starting to outweigh and grow bigger than the desires I have to satisfy the passion of my flesh. Whether that's it's greed or whether it's gossip or whether it's lust or like whatever it is that fits in there, God is actually, he's not just trying to change our behavior. He's trying to change the things that we actually want to do. The gospel invites us to have our heart rewired. It also invites us to, to reorient our perspective reorients our perspective. It's not just this matter of me trying to improve myself so that God loves me more. It's I'm, my whole perspective has changed. God loves me. God, God loves me. Like Paul writes in two different times, uh, the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. I, that's a whole new perspective to see God as your dad, right? And that, those words like, like Abba is this like intimate and sweet thing that you'd almost expect a child to say to their father. And, and then Abba, father is this like role. I think those two words, they capture what all of us long to hear from our dads at some point. That we long to have our dad be this like intimate, sweet, like I, you know, Haven will do this thing right now. She's, she's four, but we'll be sitting there and we'll have to be somewhere in like 20 minutes. And she's like, dad, will you cuddle with me? And can we watch Bluey? And I'm just like, yes, like, well, we'll be late. Who cares? You know what I mean? But there's like, I think we all want some of that from our dad. Even if the most rugged men in the room, it's like, no, you, you, you long to just have your dad say, hey, son, I love you. I'm proud of you. I just want to talk with you. I just want to be with you. But then like the spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, we also cry, Father. Like, I love that my kids know that they're safe when they're with me. And if even me, an evil dad, I know how to give good gifts to my kids, Right? So much more. How much more than can our God who is perfect, the perfect father, give us good gifts? Like we should, we should feel his power and his might and we should have this sense of awe and wonder when we come to that. It, re, it changes your perspective. It changes your perspective. When you know that you have a dad that wants to sit with you and will fight for you, that changes the way you live your life, doesn't it? That's just one way, but the gospel in so many different ways, it changes our perspective. It also repurposes our life. So now we know that like my job is not just sitting here until like God nukes the place and then I get to go play on a harp with him for forever in heaven. But like, no, like I have a purpose right now. Like heaven is coming one day and my job is to start building the bridges to there as quickly as I possibly can through the people that I interact with in the world that I'm living in. That's so much more purposeful than just like, you know, I think 16 year old Austin, it was just like, okay, go to school, go to college, get a job, have a family in there, whatever. And, and then like retire, die. Cool story, right? Cool story, bro. But if I say, hey, um, do you want to participate in the redemptive power of all things? 
Do you want to see the redemptive potential of your city unleashed by the partnership that you have with the Holy Spirit? Like that's a different story. Do you want to see lives changed? People set free, marriage is healed, people saved. Like we can see these things. That changes the purpose that your life has. You are not just a plumber. You are a preacher who plums, right? Like the purpose of Christianity, can we all just agree on this? The purpose of Christianity is not just so that everyone would become a pastor. It's so that you would see yourself pastorally in any vocation that you currently have. That's a different purpose of living the world, living in the world. It brings hope into hopeless stories. Golly, I've got some just janky, hurting, hopeless stories that I know of in my life personally. And I'm guessing you do too. Where it's like that person in that family, I don't know how this thing turns around. I don't know how they're gonna get free from that. I don't know how they're ever gonna come home. Whatever the story is, the gospel reminds us to never lose hope. The power of the Holy Spirit is always reaching. God is always in pursuit of somebody because he loves, because he is after. For God so loved the world, everyone. He gave his only son. So anyone who would come to him would not perish, but have everlasting life, John 3, 16. Like it gives us this hope, this unwavering, unrelenting hope for the world we're living in. It also brings brings hope for a different future. I think sometimes I can minimize this one because I'm, I'm so like, I want us to live a life on mission and not just wait for heaven one day. But gosh, heaven is gonna be awesome. Can we acknowledge that? No more sickness, no more pain, no more disease, no more crying. It's gonna be perfect, perfect presence of God on this earth with no power of sin, with no harmful effects of what sin has done to this world. We're gonna lit, like it's gonna be amazing. Who knows how good the Chick-fil-A is gonna taste once we finally get to heaven. You know what I'm saying? Like there, there are, okay, I don't have time. It brings me hope though for a different future. So when I sit in the pain of this world, I can actually go, it's not always gonna be like this. It's not always gonna be like this. And I can press on in hope for the future. It also invites me into the greater story. Like God has been on a mission on this world from the very beginning. And once I start to see the church is actually 2000 years old, I start to step back and I just go, oh my gosh, like I, I'm, I'm small. I mean, you know, I have 80 years on this life or whatever. Man, praise God, he's been doing something way bigger than me for way longer and he's gonna keep doing it. Helps me rest, helps me sleep at night, helps me not just like go crazy trying to save the whole world right now because I'm like, God is big. I just wanna do whatever he wants me to do in the moment, right? There's this bigger story when we understand the gospel. Two quick things. The response to this story that Jesus has that God made everything that we've rebelled against him, but he's made a way to be saved. And now we get to participate in his renewal of our th all things. All that bids from us is a response, a response. And so if you're in here today and you've never responded to the gospel, you've never gone like, okay, that, that's a Christianity I wanna follow after. Maybe you were taught something that was different. Maybe you thought it was something different. Man, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to just respond to the gospel here in just a minute and to lay your life down into Jesus' hands, knowing that he's gonna be faithful to pick it up again. But for most of us, the, it's, it's, we've, we're past that point. We've heard the gospel again. Again, we've received it. It is the story in which we now stand by which we will continually press on in our salvation. And so I'm just asking here for simply this, that we would be a gospel-obsessed gospel people, that we'd respond to this message with devotion. We'd pray and we'd study and we'd get in community and we'd show up at church and we'd participate and we'd lean in. Like it'd be something that we just can't get off of our minds. Acts 2, 42, the early church, when they first heard the gospel, it says they devoted themselves, devoted themselves to the teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, the prayers. Like they prayed, they studied, they gathered together. These are counter-cultural formational practices 
that we have to be immersed into. Otherwise, like our attention is going to be so easily diverted away to other things that we obsess about. Lines from the office. Uh, I mean, gosh, the new Lord of the Rings series seems pretty awesome. I'm, I'm hooked so far. Like it'd be easy to obsess over that. Fantasy football, like whatever you want to go into, right? No, we got to do these counter formational practices that we stay obsessed about what matters most. We devote ourselves. Philippians 4, I think about it this way. Paul encouraging, Paul encouraging the church. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely or commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, just think about the gospel in that category. Think about these things. Meditate on them. Stew in them. Pray on them. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Will be with you. I want us to grow in our capacity to be a gospel-obsessed people. Here's the few sentences that we wrote down. The whole story of the gospel is responsible for the transformational, transformation of the world and all who inhabit it. From people to families to cities to nations, the gospel changes everything. Jesus didn't come just to make us better. He came to bring us from death to life. Everything we do and everything we say finds its anchor in the good news of Jesus' rescue, redemption, and renewal of all things. We never graduate from this good news. It invites and it sharpens. And until Jesus returns, we are on a Holy Spirit-filled mission to invite others along. It's new so good that we fully devote our lives to its counterformational practices, prayer, worship, study, serving, and community. This story has captured our hearts and it is a fire burning in our bones to share with the people in our lives. Let's stand and let's pray. Well, God, we just invite your Holy Spirit to move on people right now. And if there's any, any of us in the room who, who haven't given our life to this story, we just make space right here for people just to, on their own, just surrender themselves to you. And it's as simple as this. If, that, if that's you, if you can just kind of feel the Holy Spirit's tug in your heart, you just got to pray something like this, where you go, God, I know that I've sinned. I know that I've made mistakes. But I now receive your grace. I believe that Jesus came and that he died and that on the third day he was resurrection, resurrected. And now that resurrection power can live in me. So I yield myself to you, God. And I ask that by your grace, I would be saved. And God, for the rest of us in the room who've already prayed that prayer, we're no different than the person who prayed it just a minute ago. All our ask is, is that you would help us fan into flame our devotion to your gospel. That it would be something that we obsess over. We think about it. We're reminded of it constantly. That we can't help but see a coworker the way that you see them because we have a gospel lens on the way we see the world. The person who voted different than us, makes different money than we make, doesn't hang out in the same circles we hang out in. God, help us see the world and the people in this world the way you see them according to the gospel. Jesus, I pray that as we leave here today, would you fill us up with your spirit? We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 